Well, good morning, church. It is a blessing to be with you again. I want to start by asking you to, to kind of picture in your mind Moses trying to climb up to a high enough place where he can kind of look down and, and take stock of all of the Israelite men, women, children, and animals that are passing by beneath him. Because we have reached the moment in the story when God's people are finally embarking on that journey to the promised land. Their deliverance has come, but it hasn't come cheap. And, and as Moses thinks back over all of the things that have taken place in the last handful of months, all the things that he's watched unfold, all the things that God's people have witnessed together, he had to, to get to this place where he was just filled with a sense of disappointment and sadness because their freedom had cost more than you can imagine. In many ways, I think you could say their freedom cost too much. And it's because the, the king of Egypt, it's because Pharaoh was convinced that he didn't have to listen to anyone. He didn't even have to listen to the word of the Lord. And so he, he held out far too long in this divine contest between God, who's a true power in the heavens, and Pharaoh, who's just a pretender. Right? He talks about himself that way. Everybody in Egypt sees him that way. But in the course of several months, it becomes obvious to everyone that God is a true power. And Pharaoh... Well, he talks a good game, but he can't follow it up. If only his advisors had been able to get through to him, if only that the many times Moses comes to him and says, look, have you had enough? Has it been enough? Will you finally let the people go? But that's not at all what Pharaoh is ready to do. And so he and his people have to suffer through these ten plagues, right? And they're not just a series of, of small punishments. It's not just a handful of annoying inconveniences. The ten plagues utterly dismantle Egypt, right? There, there is almost nothing left after these tragedies and calamities cut their way through the people. And, and so all Pharaoh and, and all the rest of the Egyptian men, women, and children, their family, all they have left to do is to try to somehow limp forward through what's left of their shattered lives. I mean, their entire world has fallen apart. If you and I had been there to watch it unfold in person, we would have felt like all of the, the forces of nature, all of creation was conspiring together to empty the most mighty nation on the face of the earth of its power and its position. And that's exactly what was happening because the God of creation was pulling back the, the rules, the predictability, the, the laws that govern nature and creation and allowing for chaos to just descend on Pharaoh and his people. I mean, at the very start, the, the river that they need for for water, for life, it turns into blood. It's useless to them. And then a week later, frogs come leaping out of the Nile. They're everywhere. People can, can barely move. And then after that, every speck of dust that's in Egypt turns 
miraculously into these biting insects, gnats, and they're everywhere. Now, now these three plagues, they inflict everyone, Egyptian and Israelite alike. But all the, the plagues that come after, they're aimed specifically at the Egyptians. So that it's clear in this contest who God is fighting for. And so after the gnats comes this swarm of flies. I mean, I, I, I get uh, just overwhelmed at times in my house if one fly is loose and I can't find it. Can you imagine if every flat surface was covered with flies everywhere you looked? I mean, you couldn't get anything done, right? And, and, and then after the flies comes this strange disease that strikes the livestock. And again, not a single uh, Israelite animal out in the fields is struck by this strange disease, but every single one of the animals for the, for the Egyptians. And, and the Bible's specific here, right? It's horses and donkeys, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, all of them instantly get sick and they die. And then after that comes these painful boils, sores that are attacking everybody's skin. And, and not just people's skin, but, but animals that, that aren't livestock, they get attacked as well. And then after that comes the worst hailstorm in history, uh, in, in history of Egypt. And I'm not just doing 2020 history here. This is all ancient, right? Like we get the sense of what it's like to have to keep facing unpredictable chaos, right? It, it totally upends our lives. Well, this is one after another. And then comes this destructive swarm of locusts. If, if everything else hasn't been destroyed, if there's anything left living in the fields, the locusts consume them. And then the ninth plague puts just the people of, of Egyptian heritage in the dark for three days. The neighborhood where the Israelites live is miraculously well lit. Now time and again throughout all of this, Pharaoh has moments where he wavers, right? He, he has advisors come to him. Again, Moses and Aaron are coming to him. He has plenty of opportunities to say enough's enough. Okay, it's all I can take. It's all my people can take. But he's too prideful. He's too arrogant. And so there's a couple of times where he actually starts to go through the motions of setting them free. And as soon as they start to pack things together, he says, you know what? I changed my mind. You're staying. Time after time after time, the people have to face this destruction. And there's this interesting thing that starts to happen. If you've ever heard somebody preach on the story of the Exodus or teach on the story of the Exodus, you've got this interesting phrase that, that Pharaoh, he's got this will, right? He's, he's got his heart set on holding on to his slave workforce. But he's not alone in that strength. God adds strength to his heart. Now, it gets translated a lot of times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the idea here is power and strength. Pharaoh could choose what to do with that power and strength that God's pouring into his heart. And he, he's unwilling to think of using that strength and power for anything other than to keep controlling God's people, to hold them right where they are. And so God's not going to take it easy on him. He's not listening. And so God finally, there's one last plague that's going to break Pharaoh's will, right? And it's the death of the firstborn. One night, every Egyptian mother and father who has a son, they go in to check on their children sleeping, and they find that their firstborn son isn't breathing. And there's nothing left to ruin. There's nothing 
left to take. There is nothing left for Pharaoh to say other than get these people out of my sight. Get these people out of my country. Now, I think about all that Pharaoh has put his people through. And, and yeah, deliverance has come. But it hasn't come cheap, right? It's, freedom's there, but it, it costs too much. And it's not as if this was the only way for the story to go. It's not as if Pharaoh had to resist this way. It's not as if he had to use the power and the strength that God's pouring into his heart to dismantle his own nation, to dismantle his own reign. But that's exactly, that's, that's all he knows to do. Because it's how he sees the world. It's how he sees everybody in the world. They're his possessions to do with as he pleases. As the journey of freedom continues for the Israelites, we find that God decides to take the longer way because it's the better way. You know, they have to be exhausted. They, they were able to not experience most of the plagues, but they had to witness it, and it had to be hard to watch. It also had to make them wonder what kind of God they were stuck alone in the wilderness with. Right? Because so far, what they've seen God's power do, it would leave a lasting impression, and you would for sure not want to get on the wrong side of this God. So they're out in the wilderness, and and they probably would have wanted to to take the, the fastest route from Egypt to the promised land. Right? They'd like for that journey to to be the most direct way, and yet God says, no, we're going we're gonna to go an indirect way. We're going to go a longer way. Now, why is God doing that? Well, because he's trying to keep them far away from the Philistines. Right? Makes sense. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're confused. They don't need to run the risk of running into a group of people where it might turn into some kind of violent, dangerous struggle. And so it makes sense. I mean, it's a little different. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Moses was able to say to them, look, it's for our own good that we're, we're going out of the way. And so they're, they're journeying, and it's a long journey. But for God's people at this point, everything is looking up, right? Everything feels and looks better and better. Because they, for the first time, probably as far back as any of them can recall, they get to think about their future. They get to, to dream again. They get to think about who they want to be again. They get to think about what kinds of of experiences their families are going to have again. And so the people of God here, they're, they're walking towards their new home. Even though they're walking in the wilderness and even though they're not exactly sure when they're going to finally get there, they can be sure that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And that has to feel incredible to them. That has to be something that they have, they have longed for forever. And now it's finally something that's happening to them. But then, like, it feels like all of the sudden and kind of out of the blue, God tells Moses, hey, I, I know that we've kind of been heading in this, this you know, direction that nobody really expected. And I want us to just shift directions again. And, you know, you might think, okay, well, it's God 
guiding them here, and they, they would trust that, except for God tells Moses the reason why they have to change direction this time is so that Pharaoh will think that they're lost and that they're just wandering aimlessly around the desert. Why are we talking about Pharaoh? That's what, that's what I want to know, right? They've, they've been through generations of slavery. They have watched the, the ten plagues just take the land of Egypt and the people of, of Egypt apart. Why in the world? You wouldn't think you'd have to be looking in your rearview mirror to make sure you're not being followed. And yet that's exactly what happens here. God says, you know, um, the unthinkable is, is taking place here. See, it turns out that Pharaoh, the second that you guys all packed up and got ready to go, he decided that he'd been right all along. And so he was going to get all of his warriors, his soldiers together, and they're, they're going to they're do everything they can to find us, to reach us, to wrestle us back into submission, and to drag you back to Egypt. So we need to, you know, kind of do some evasive maneuvers here. It is so frustrating to me. As I try to think about what it would be like to, to be in the position of these Israelites after everything they've been through and how long they've been waiting for deliverance, this is what God's asking them to do? I, I can't quite fully grasp what they had to go through in that moment, but it has to be a sense of despair. Like, this is never, ever going to actually happen for us. This is never going to end. See, that's not what's taking place in this part of the story. They just don't know it yet. I mean, it's, it's brand new, right? It, it is brand new. And already God's deliverance for his people feels like it's being threatened. And I think you and I, we don't just read stories where people have to go through these kinds of ups and downs and thinking they're just breaking free only to be pulled back. We, we've watched this story play out over and over again. Pharaoh, the, the one man with enough resources left after all of those plagues, he, he does everything he can to try to win. He's, he's preparing with all these, these soldiers and warriors for the fight of his life. And, and the people are told, okay, well, now that he's getting closer, we're going to stop moving around in a direction to trick him. Uh, let's just gather up together along the shore of the Red Sea and wait for him to get here. That's what God tells Moses to tell the people. Just get to a place where there's no escape and wait. And I, again, as if... The disappointment of finding out Pharaoh's already chasing them isn't enough. Now they start to wonder, what kind of military leader is Moses? Did God really tell him this? I mean, what, what, that, that seems like the, the worst possible place you could go and wait. And yet Moses says, this is what God's asking us to do. Are we going to trust God or not? And this is the question that, that God's people are going to have to face over and over as they're journeying towards their freedom, towards that promised land. Are they going to trust God or not? Are they going to trust themselves? Are they going to decide that everything that's happened before is what's going to help them predict what's going to happen next? Or is God able to create a new future that you can't see coming, that you and I can't make happen? 
Is God capable of creating something out of nothing when it comes to our future? Do we trust that or not? Now, there's a lot going on here, right? The the people believe in the power of God. You couldn't witness the ten plagues without believing in the power of God. They believe in the power of God to save them. They've already experienced that. Now they have to ask themselves, they believe that God's going to use that same power again to rescue them again. Is it a one-time deal, or is God going to continue to show up when they need him the most and shepherd them, lead them to the place of their salvation and their promise? There's a lot to keep in your mind right here. You've got another battle when it feels like the battle should already be over. And isn't that how doubt and fear works? Like you think you're past it, and then you get pulled back in? you got Pharaoh planning and plotting on one side. You've got God plotting and planning on the other. And you've got the Israelites in that place in the middle that nobody ever wants to be, right? It's the last place you want to be stuck. And they're not plotting and planning. They're too busy fearing and doubting. So they get ready. Somebody says, you know what, we got to say something to Moses here because I think he's misleading us. Maybe not on purpose. Maybe he just doesn't have a, a, enough experience to know what to do here. But someone's got to tell him something because we're going to all just wait on the shore of the Red Sea here and we're going to get slaughtered. Somebody's got to say something. So they, they go to him. And what's so hard for them is Pharaoh seems so close. I mean, can you imagine what it had to sound like for the, the largest, strongest military in the world to be getting closer to you with every passing second? Right? It feels like you know exactly how that's going to go. And then God, their greatest ally, seems so far away. They can see and hear Pharaoh and his men. They can't, they can't see or hear God the way they want to. And so they got a, they got a choice to make. They know exactly what slavery to Pharaoh feels like. That's been their whole life. They don't have to guess. They don't really know yet what freedom to God feels like. It's too new. It's too unpredictable. So are they going to stay with what they know? Or are they going to find the courage to step out into that great unknown? What are they going to do? Let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. We'll start reading together in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? That's revisionist history there. I don't remember them willingly serving the Egyptians. They're slaves, right? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. When safety couldn't feel farther away, Moses says, safety is closer to us than you can imagine. When hope 
is dying, fading away. Moses speaks that hope back into life. When salvation feels like it's out of the question, Moses offers powerful promises that that salvation is absolutely certain. He looks at the people of God. He looks at all of these tired families who followed him out here into the wilderness. And he declares to them that God's deliverance cannot be undone. You can reject it. You can refuse it, but it can't be undone. It can't be taken from you by somebody else. It can't be stolen from you by anybody else, least of all Pharaoh. God didn't rescue his people only to let them be captured again. God didn't give them brand new lives just to let an angry, arrogant king come and ruin their lives all over again. Through his servant Moses, right, God is confidently saying to his people here, look, I didn't bring you here to fight. I'm going to do that. And I didn't leave, ask you to come here to flee because Pharaoh and his men, they're going to do that. I brought you here to witness, to bear witness, to see and to hear, not just my power, but my power to save you, and not once, but always. This is what God needs his people to hear. I didn't bring you here to fight, and I didn't bring you here to flee. I brought you here to witness. I brought you here to teach you something. My deliverance cannot be undone by anyone else. Do you trust me? Now, the amazing thing about God, right, is God doesn't just say, trust me, without then proving that he's trustworthy. And that's exactly what takes place in this story with these not just encouraging words, but they're empowering words, aren't they? God's done speaking. Because as often as God speaks to his people, there comes a time when the moment for for speaking, for talking has passed, and the moment for action arrives. And that's exactly what this moment is. Moses speaks these words of salvation and deliverance, and then God immediately starts to produce a miraculous event that's going to make that salvation real. He's going to make that deliverance visible to them, where they can see it. They can see it just as well as they can see Pharaoh and his army bearing down on them. So he asks Moses to, to hold his, his arms out over the Red Sea. And the moment he does that, this strong east wind begins to blow. And it blows all night long. And it blows with enough force and enough power that, that just as the, the sun begins to break on the horizon, they see that through that wind, God has created, you could have never predicted this, right? God has created this narrow valley of dry land in the midst of the sea that they're going to be able to walk through into their new lives. Every time I I read this story, every time I tell it, this is the moment. Right? You feel like everything else is kind of leading up to this. All of the, the previous chapters of Exodus just lead you to this place. You know, and it happens less and less anymore because I don't switch around the, the TV channels as much as I used to looking for something to watch. But as you get closer to Easter, you're sure if you just start turning around on TV, you're going to come across Cecil B. DeMille's classic Ten Commandment movie. Right? The special effects is admittedly pretty dated but it's still the best part of the movie, right? When the, the Red Sea 
pulls back and the people are able to walk through. When, when you sit down and watch uh, The Prince of Egypt, an animated film that's a little newer than that, right? It's, it's the best moment of the story. And every time I, I come across it in scripture, or I, I happen to catch it in a movie, my heart surges with joy because I know it's in this moment that God's people, against all odds, even when they thought they'd made it free and clear and they actually hadn't and Pharaoh showed up and they think it's all tenuous and it's all fragile and it's all going to fall apart, they're reminded that God's deliverance can't just be undone. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. Now, part of the reason I feel that joy is I'm watching it from the safety of my couch. They don't know that yet because they haven't lived that yet. And I'm guessing the only thing that felt crazier than hanging out on the shore of the Red Sea while Pharaoh comes bearing down on them is, let's take a walk. Right? Do you trust me? God says, do you? Do you trust me? I, uh, I think we've got to understand that this is different than what they thought was going to happen, but it's not necessarily any easier. Because they don't have to fight Pharaoh and his soldiers, but they have to fight their fears. Right? They, they don't have to gather the strength to, to face swords and spears, but they have to gather the strength to face two constantly shifting walls of water that I'm sure they felt like could, could just fall apart at any moment. They don't have to, to walk all the way back to Egypt in chains, but the only way they're going to get to the promised land is if they walk through a dark and frightening place. This is different this is freedom. This is deliverance. But it's not easy. And so we look at this moment in the story. And we have to ask, will God's people, will they stay with what they know? Or will they step out into the great unknown? And that's not just the question for them. It's a question for us. Because you and I know the truth, right? This isn't just a story about the Israelites thousands of years ago. This is, this is our story. This is our question. It's not enough to hope that God's people a long time ago found the courage to do this. You and I have to wrestle with whether or not we're going to find the courage to do this. Will we keep living the same old lives that we already know? Or will we step out into the great unknown? Right? Will we, will we get to the place where we realize that God is constantly asking us, do you trust me that there's a different way of life that maybe you've never imagined fully for yourself, but I've dreamt it for you before you were ever born, before you took your first breath. I wanted a certain kind of life for you that you've never really fully tasted. You don't even know much about it, but do you trust that I know, God says? Do, do you trust that I'm familiar with it, and will you follow me even when you don't know exactly what's going to happen next? And the truth is, just like the Israelites, you and I know, we know what it's like to live in spiritual slavery. We know it all too well. We know what those spiritual chains feel like, the chains that hold us to our shortcomings. We know what it means to be paralyzed by our fear. 
Fear of failure, fear of taking risks, fear of not mattering. We, we know the sharp sting of sin as it unfolds in our own lives and as it hurts us. And it never just hurts us, right? It always also hurts all the people around us. We know what it feels like to be deeply disappointed and to feel trapped in, in a job that, that we just feel like we can't do or we're embarrassed by our social status or we're frustrated at how our lives have ended up turning out. We're familiar with the feelings of, of grief over lost dreams and we've had to watch people lose their memories in front of us, people that we care about. We've, we've had to deal with, with the loneliness of death itself. You and I know already more than well enough what it means to live lives where we struggle against spiritual slavery. But the, the story this morning isn't about what we already know. The story is about what we don't yet know nearly enough about. And the question is, just like the Israelites before us, what choice are we going to make? Are, are we... Are we brave enough to take a hold of the deliverance that is trying to take hold of us? Do we have the courage to live lives that are all about the things we don't know nearly enough about? Things like a peace that passes understanding and a grace that forms us as much as it forgives us and a love that's always seeking to give more than it gets and a commitment to Jesus that takes us far beyond ourselves and a reconciliation that, that's action more than just nice sounding words. See, these are the things, this is my list of the things that I don't know nearly enough about. I've had these fleeting moments in my life where I've tasted them, but I haven't experienced them in the, in the full-bodied way, in the constant way that God has promised me that my future with him is supposed to look like and feel like and be like. And I wonder if I'm not the only one in this room who could look at this list and say, yeah, I don't know that yet. I haven't experienced that yet. And it's not easy, but it's different. And it's different like deliverance. So the question is, do we trust God enough to live into that kind of future? These are the building blocks of what that future looks like. So will we decide? Will we, will we find the courage? Will we be brave enough to say to God, we don't know what that's like, but we know what you're like. And we'll follow you anywhere. We'll go anywhere you ask us to go. Because you, knew, you know better than we do the kind of life that we've always longed for. You know better than we do the lives that we were built for, the lives where we created for. So please, God, lead us and we'll follow. Nobody can make you take that risk. God won't even make you take that risk. God simply asks. It's always an invitation. So brothers and sisters, I'm asking you this morning, can we see the truth that the water is waiting and our God is calling and it's up to us to start moving. We're going to sing together now. I'm going to ask Dan to go ahead and join me on stage. And as we do, may we find the courage to be the people 
who trust God no matter what. Let's stand and sing together now.